You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Before the Crawford Ranch or Kenny Bunkport or the Hyannis Compound or Camp David, there was a president who faced greater problems than any of his successors and who really needed a place to relax away from the White House. The president was Lincoln, and the place he found was forgotten for the next 130 years. It opens again to the public in February 2008, and our guest today is Frank Milligan, director of President Lincoln's Cottage at the Soldier's Home in Washington, D.C., here on Civil War Talk Radio. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice... What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Shouldn't we pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Marissa, are you ready yet? I know you can hear me. You are not missing school again. Marissa! You trying to be a nobody or something? Let's go! All right then. Hit it. I know you can hear this. Hey guys, move closer. Girl, I am not leaving. Hey, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drop out. A real friend can make all the difference. Cut that noise, yo! I'm coming! Took you long enough. Thanks for the help, guys. For more ways to help, go to OperationGraduation.com. A public service message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the 
Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University. It's our first show of 2008, and this year, as every year, although we use the university's telephone, an antiquated legacy system that does not indicate when messages are coming in or do anything. It doesn't have a crank on the side to wind up, but it's it's pretty close to that. Uh, but even though we're using the phone of the university, the show is not sponsored by or uh, approved by the university. It's just me. The guests speak for just themselves, not their institutions or me or anybody else. And with those legal things out of the way, we can get going once again for 2008. The uh, big event, of course, in 2008, um, uh, followed closely by the presidential election in the United States, will, of course, be the publication of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln, a book uh, that I have written about Lincoln and the kinds of questions people asked me when I worked at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana for nine years, uh, the kind of questions people ask when I give talks at roundtables and other places. Not always the questions that historians are interested in writing about or think are important. Uh, sometimes the questions are stranger, sometimes less well-informed. Uh, but they're what people seem to want to really know. And so I thought I would take uh, the opportunity to, to write down all the answers uh, in one place. And that's what, uh, what the book is about. I hope you'll take a look at it. Uh, if you're uh, around in late January 2008, and it's not already past that time as you listen to this on an archive edition of Civil War Talk Radio, uh, please uh, come by and see me if you get a chance. I will be in the following places on January 26th, the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago, doing their virtual book signing at noon central time. So wherever you are in the world, you can still watch the book signing, request books by email, have them signed and mailed out to you. Uh, that's on January 26, 2008. Uh, January 27th, Mitchell Books, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at 7 o'clock. January 28th, Borders Books in Gross Point, Michigan, uh, at 7 o'clock. January 29th, Shaman Drum Books in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Go Blue. And January 30th, the Regulator Bookshop in Durham, North Carolina. February 6th, the Quail Ridge Bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, that's all that's set up now. If you own a bookstore, give me a call. I am shameless in my self-promotion, uh, as I'm doing right now, and will be happy to come and uh, do do a, a program for you there. If any listeners uh, can come to one of these, I'd be delighted to meet you in person, identify yourself as a Civil War talk radio listener, and receive an extra bright smile and hearty handshake uh, at no charge. So, Hopefully, look forward to meeting some of you uh, on the road, and if not, uh, uh, get a copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves and, and tell me what you think. Uh, send an email uh, to my address, uh, which is listed on the show page. Uh, it's my last name and first initial at ecu.edu, and be happy to hear from uh, a well-informed audience uh, what you think of Did Lincoln Own Slaves. There'll be more shameless self-promotion next week, but let's move on. Uh, well, actually, there'll be more probably throughout the show, but we'll move on anyway. Uh, to talk about today, indeed, Abraham Lincoln. It is 2008, uh, one year from the bicentennial of Lincoln's birthday. The hoopla will only grow thicker as the year approaches. 
and there will be a number of shows in the upcoming year that touch on Lincoln in one way or another. And I'm happy to start the year today with one such program uh, as we talk about a Lincoln location that not many people have yet had the opportunity to visit. Uh, so to talk about that, let me uh, bring in our guest, Frank Milligan. Frank, are you there? I'm here, Jerry. Nice to uh, talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And, and, and now I've, I understand now it's my turn. I'll shamelessly promote President Lincoln's cottage, if that's okay. Oh, that, that's what you're here to do. We're, uh, <laughs> okay. If we can get visitors to come and show up, that's the whole point. Happy to uh, do it. Well, let, let's start with some some background uh, about yourself before you get to the cottage. Well, no, let's, let's say what the cottage is. I said in the introduction, uh, I named a bunch of other presidential retreats. It seems every president in the 20th century mm-hmm. has needed a place to go, uh, you know, Warm Springs or Hyde Park or uh, uh, Kenny Bunkport or uh, Hyannis or Camp David and so on. Uh, so uh, where did Abraham Lincoln go when he needed uh, a break from office? Well, he had uh, the good fortune of uh, being told by his predecessor, President Buchanan, of a very lovely spot, readily accessible, only three miles north of the White House, called the Soldier's Home. This was, beginning in 1851, the country's first retirement home for veterans. And on the grounds uh, of, that, uh, of this 300-acre site, uh, which I'm sitting on as we speak, in as we speak, uh, there was uh, a house originally built by a Washington banker, George Riggs, that uh, served as a perfect getaway from the stench and heat and humidity and ongoing uh, movement of regiments down Penn Ave from the White House. And Buchanan said, you know, you really need to look into this. And uh, Lincoln and Mary Lincoln did, did that and immediately loved it. Uh, whether it reminded him of, of, of the circuit at West, uh, we'll never know. But for one thing we do know, he loved it here so much so that he would come out, they would come out for four to five months uh, for three years of his presidency. Didn't quite make it here in 61. He had a lot on his plate and just didn't uh, get around to, to moving. But by the spring of 62, uh, they packed up 14 wagon loads full of household belongings and books and moved out here and uh, didn't move back until the middle of November when his uh, domestic help was too cold and were complaining, and uh, he reluctantly returned to the White House. So it was more than just a weekend retreat for him, Jerry. It, it was clearly a place that did something for him, uh, rejuvenated him uh, that, uh, you know, in a way that he desperately needed. Now, you said this was built by uh, Riggs, the banker. Right. And th- then did he give this to the United States? Well, no, he sold it. The timing was just such that uh, he was decided he was going to become uh, a country gentleman, built a, a lovely big 34-room Greek Revival country home out here. It's much more than a cottage. Uh, and uh, that didn't last long. He, and uh, he put it up for sale just as the government was looking to buy uh, uh, with money that Winfield Scott returned uh, with from the Mexican War, a home for veterans. So the timing was perfect for both parties, and uh, the deal was done. And then in the 1850s, the government built a residence and two other homes here, uh, so uh, it was it was the perfect spot uh, for Lincoln. So the 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 thirty four room house that Riggs built is that the one that then the retired soldiers lived in? Originally, it was. It was the very first residence. Obviously, it couldn't hold very many of them, even with thirty four rooms. And so the government immediately set to work to build large residence, which was constructed right beside Lincoln, 
uh, Lincoln's, uh, the home that Lincoln moved into, uh, literally 50 yards beside, uh, while he and his family lived here in the summers and fall, there were between 150 to 170 veterans, many of them uh, uh, pretty rough, <laughs> uh, living that close to him. So with that and his military guard, uh, it was really a community in its own right. So the the house that Lincoln lived in that that's one that then was built after it was given to the to the government or sold to the government. It was the uh, when the government bought the property, it was here, and then the and and uh, that's the house that Lincoln moved into. The government then added other buildings to that, and and ended up building the complex here. Okay, and that that house was known sometimes as the Anderson Cottage. It was, yeah. Robert Anderson uh, and ironically Jefferson Davis. Uh, we're also involved in uh, working within Congress to uh, uh, to have this money allocated to to a retirement home, and for many years it was named Anderson Cottage. In fact, there's there's still uh, signage to that effect that we've retained. Uh, but now uh, it is known as President Lincoln's Cottage at the Soldiers' Home, and uh, we're we're six weeks away from opening it to the public. The uh, and that Anderson is the same one as, as the Fort Sumter Anderson. Correct. Yep, it is. Yep. So so there is a. I mean, it was a small country in the 1850s. Anybody uh, in the military it seems connects with the Civil War in some way. Um, did Buchanan use the soldiers' home? Buchanan weapon? did. He was out here for for three uh, three years, uh, and uh, liked it. I but, but and, uh, as did Hayes and Arthur used the, the facility as well, but. None of them to the extent that Lincoln uh, used it. They were primarily weekend or summer users. Lincoln, clearly this this uh, facility did more for him uh, in the sense that, that uh, he moved out here for four to five months each year. And, you know, the, the real one of the real fascinating aspects of the story is his commute. Uh, he commuted to the White House daily, I think, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, this guy never stopped working. I mean, he, he literally did not take a day off, I don't think, uh, in, in his entire presidency. And so he commuted. He was up at his egg and coffee and toast and uh, was out the door from, from this site uh, anywhere between 6.30 and 8 o'clock in the morning, and either on horseback with his with pad by his side or carriage, uh, with or without his cavalry escort, he would be off for the White House. It was about a 45-minute uh, ride, depending on... Uh, you know whether he stopped to speak with veterans, uh, regiments marching up and down Seventh Street Pike, or perhaps ambulance trains coming back from the front, uh, as he was uh, apt to do, or visiting one of the many military hospitals along the route, or contraband camps. We have a record of him doing all those things. Uh, but if he rode nonstop, he'd be down at the White House in 45 minutes. He'd do his daily routine and uh, mount up and, and end up putting his putting his head down out here at the cottage every night. So that, that became quite a regular part of his routine. And, and uh, our historian, Matt Pinsker, in his book, Lincoln Sanctuary, uh, suggests that, that really it was a th- almost a therapeutic routine that did, did wonders for his, uh, you know, for his uh, spirit and soul during those trying times. So, this, so, and so he was out there the entire summer in 1862, 63, and, and also 1864? Yeah, and, and right through until mid-November, the end of October, and sometimes mid-November. Uh, so he was in no hurry to get back to that, as he said, that damned old house uh, at the White House. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, he, this was a retreat. It was a sanctuary, no question about it. But at the same time, it was close enough 
that his cabinet colleagues, uh, many of his military officers, in some cases his, his political foes, Fernando Wood being one of them, uh, could also get out here and meet with him in a quieter and more private atmosphere than the White House. As, as we all know, that was, that was really, uh, there, were, there, were, there were no secrets at the White House. And uh, whereas out here, these, these meetings could take place in relative privacy, and uh, he used this place extensively for political meetings uh, and meetings with his uh, individual cabinet secretaries. And uh, for our purposes, uh, many uninvited visitors also showed up out here. So, so this is mm-hmm. both a, a retreat, but it's a working place. It's exactly. It's a, it's a working area for him. We know that he, you know, with emancipation, for example, uh, he was out here, you know, in the, in the spring of 62 when he was still trying desperately to convince the border states to sign on, and, uh, uh, and right through the, the emancipation summer when the decision was made to, you know, to proceed with the proclamation. Those decisions were made while he lived out here, and undoubtedly, uh, certainly Alan Gelzo and others believe that he, he worked on the Emancipation Proclamation out here. Whether he actually wrote it here, as I say to the staff, is really irrelevant, but he was certainly thinking the whole th- thing through out here at the, uh, at the President Lincoln's Cottage. Well, there, there is some discussion of that, certainly, as uh, you know, David Donald has said, everyone wants a piece of Lincoln, and every Lincoln person wants a piece of the Emancipation Proclamation, so you've got the stories about him working on it in the telegraph office. Right. Uh, obviously, he would have worked on it in the White House. Right. And at least one commonly told story is that he wrote a draft of it at, at the Anderson Cottage. Right. Um, you suggest uh, maybe yes, maybe no, maybe it doesn't matter? Yeah, I think maybe yes, maybe no, maybe, no, maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, Hannibal Hamlin you know, is, is on record of being out here and having I mean, read a draft in, in June of 62. Um, so there are there there are a number of of, of uh, recorded memoirs and whatnot. Uh, I don't you know whether we'll ever really know. I'm not sure, but you know when we talk to our visitors here, when we train our staff, we we really indicate that the that the emancipation was a process that took months to unravel and unfold, and all of that was being done while he lived here. And for us, that's what's important: the fact that we have the authentic house where he was the floors you know the walls um, that he that he lived within while all of this was going on uh, and that served to provide him with that respite that that he so desperately needed and that's what that's what I think is the real uh, importance of this location and I think our visitors when they start coming here and, and seeing the experience uh, that we have for them will will have a better fuller understanding of the proclamation and its importance well, I think it's going to be a great thing. Uh, many people who will be listening to this, uh, to our discussion, will be listening through the archives. It will be past February 2008, and the place will already be open. Uh, for us right here in the present, we have a month of anticipation. Uh, but it will, I, I agree, be a great site for people to visit. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk more about uh, the Lincoln Cottage at the Soldiers' Home. Uh, with our guest today, Frank Milligan, director of that institution. We'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio.